0: Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we come to you this morning, opening your word, I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your spirit. I pray, Lord, that we would take these words and apply them to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you will, please open your Bibles and turn with me to the 11th chapter of Romans as we continue our study this morning of not only the book of Romans, but also the 11th chapter of, And if you recall, Romans chapter 11, Paul is presenting Israel's present condition in their future. And while the Israelites have a history of rejecting God, Paul makes note that God is preserving a remnant who in the end will obtain the outstanding covenant promises that have yet to be fulfilled in the life of Israel. In addition, as we've read in chapter 11, the Gentiles were offered grace through the Israelites' rejection. And in fact, if you look at the 11th verse... Of Romans 11, you'll see where Paul wrote, I say then, have they, referring to the Israelites, stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. In other words, is that remnant comes to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There will be future blessings for the Gentiles through the Hebrew people. Not only does Paul mention future blessings for the Gentiles, but he then goes on and talks about how we are joined with the Hebrews. Now, before I start our focal passage, which goes into depth, I want to put this in proper context, because it's one of those group of verses where if you don't ask in what context Paul is writing to the Church of Rome, you'll miss the fullness of what Paul is actually saying. And so let's first put a timestamp on Romans. It's estimated that the letter to the Romans was written in 56 AD. And to give you a comparison of this, we're just 23 years post-resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So 23 years from when Jesus Christ was crucified and rose from the grave to the writing of the letter Now, John Stott's commentary on Romans, he mentions that there is a lot of anti-Jewish feeling in Rome at that particular time. And what Paul is going to do in the upcoming verses is he doesn't want the church of Rome to be anti-Semites. And so he's dealing with that because it would be really easy, if you think about it, if you're, if you're living in a town that has a hatred for the Jews, it would actually be quite easy for you to incorporate that into your church life, especially since it's only 23 years from when Christ was crucified to the writing of the letter. So that's an important thing as we look at these verses for us to keep in mind. So now let's go to verses 16 through 21, which will be our focal passage for the morning. In verse 16, it reads For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, Branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of the unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. So, as Paul gives this comparison between us being grafted into the covenant promises of Israel, he uses the olive tree as an example. And it's common knowledge that we are grafted into those covenant promises. And in fact, if you look at Galatians three, as Paul writes the Galatian church in verse five, He goes. Therefore, he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, for seeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, "In you." all the nation shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. We're grafted in. We're grafted into those covenant promises that God made Abraham back in the Old Testament. Which begs the question, how are we grafted in? Well, if you watch it on YouTube or if you're out in a orchard, you can see that you can take a branch from one tree and you can graft it in to the tree itself. And so we're, we're grafted in, but you've got to have part of a branch to do a graft. And when you're doing that graft, we were grafted in, in the comparison, we were grafted in to a branch that was broken off. In other words, the Hebrews rejected the Lord Jesus Christ and those branches were broken off and we were grafted into the tree. In other words, we were grafted into those covenant promises that God made Abraham. Just like I mentioned last week, If you were a child and you went to VBS, you can remember singing that song, Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. I used to love that song in VBS. But what we were celebrating as a child in VBS and what we were being taught in VBS was that we were grafted into those promises that God made Abraham. Abraham. And quite frankly, I think that as today, as we look around and as we see the New Testament church, it's easy to look at the New Testament church and say, we are alive today, we're fulfillment of the prophecy that we have been grafted into the tree, we've been grafted into those covenant promises, and yes, we do have a father Abraham. God's alive, isn't he? He's alive and he's at work. And so we're grafted in and we've been grafted into a branch that has been broken off. Now, to go back to the context in which Paul was writing the letter, it would be quite easy to develop a sense of spiritual pride, wouldn't it? 23 years, post-resurrection, 23 years for the Jews calling for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And you're living in a town that persecutes Jews. And it would be real easy to say, well, look at me, look at me, look at the Gentiles. We chose God, which is why in Romans 11 verse 18, Paul wrote, do not boast. Do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say, then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off, and stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Now, you may be saying, well, I'm not living in Roman times. I don't have a problem with the Jews. So what does this have to do with me? But I think these verses have very important modern relevance. And so what I'm about to touch on today, I think, has so much relevance for today in the modern church. First of all, let me make this point. Paul, in these particular verses that I read, Romans 11, 18 through 21, gives two don'ts and one do. Two don'ts and one do. And if you look at those, he says, do not boast. Do not boast. In addition, he says, do not be haughty. Do not be haughty. Those are our two don'ts. What's our do? fear. Now regarding boasting and haughtiness, who is the recipient? Who is he telling don't be boastful to? I mean, if I'm going to boast, I got to boast to someone, right? I'm not going to boast privately. I've got to have a recipient to boast. So who is he saying, don't boast to. Well, naturally, you don't boast to the branch that was broken off. If you've been grafted in, you shouldn't boast to the branch that was broken off. Doug Moo in his commentary says, well, the branch that was broken off or regarding to the Hebrews, are you boasting to the unbelieving Jew or are you boasting to the believing Jew? And Mu, in his commentary, says that you're boasting to both. You're boasting to the lost Jew, and you're boasting to the saved Jew. As a Gentile, you're saying, look at me. In other words, what he's doing is he's telling the Gentile Christians, don't have spiritual pride. Don't have spiritual pride. Turn with me to Romans three, Romans three, verse 27. He touched on this earlier here in this particular verse. He asked a question in Romans three, 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. He tells us in Romans 3, don't boast, don't have spiritual pride. It's not because of the law that you find yourself in the grace of God. It's by faith. And I think that is extremely important for us as believers during our modern time to recognize that the church should not be boasting. And I think that we live in a time that it is quite easy, quite easy for us to have spiritual pride. Why is that? It's because we live in a world of unrighteousness. Unrighteousness is all around us. We live in a society that is turning increasingly anti-Christian. We're living in a society that is throwing away the moral standard that existed previously. And in fact, the world doesn't have a relationship with God, and they don't want a relationship with God. In a 2021 study from Lifeway Research, based on three dozen denominations, they found that in 2019, 4,500 churches closed their doors. Think about that. 4,500 churches closed their doors. And in fact, you can say, well, how many churches were opened? So in 2019, 3,000 churches were opened. But let me say something about church planting, of which I know a little bit of something about. As we planted this church, most church plants do not make it. We've been blessed. Most church plants don't make it. So in 2019, 4,500 closed, 3,000 open. Most of those 3,000 will not stay as a viable church. Society is moving away from the church. In fact, you could argue that society is running away from the church. The church as an institution is under threat. So in that environment that we find ourselves in, as we increasingly become more of a pagan society, it would be easy for us to get together... And as a friend of mine says, have a holy huddle and look out at the world with a sense of spiritual pride. Look at us. We're here at church. Look at us. We do this. Look at us. We do that. We're better. We're better. We need to remind ourselves what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should what? Boast. There's that word again. Boast. Now this is a verse, if you've ever done any Scripture memorization programs, This is one of those verses that's always in there. If you do navigators or whatever, any memorization programs. And it's one of those verses, the way that it's worded, you can kind of skip over. You're saved through faith, not of yourselves. In other words, your faith. Think about that that moment that you came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I'll use my own personal example. and I've given my testimony before. In 1976, in a revival meeting, I couldn't get away from the call of God. And I sat in the revival meeting for five days and on the fifth day, it got the best of me. And I went down front and I gave my life to Christ. That very act that I went through in 1976 wasn't because of my intellect. It wasn't because of my parents. It wasn't because I had reached a moral understanding. It wasn't through the persuasiveness of the preacher. In fact, I can't even tell you what the preacher preached on that Friday night. What was it? It was the grace of God. It had nothing to do with me, my life, my upbringing, nothing at all. It was the grace of God and God calling me, of which I cannot boast. Spiritual pride is something that's extremely dangerous, and we're told not to do it. Remember where you came from. And I'll give you a great example of that. And that's in the life of Paul. Paul never forgot where he came from. In 1 Timothy 1.15, it says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Of whom I am chief. Paul remembered what his life was like before the Damascus road, he remembered his sin, he remembers who he was. he never forgot that. and so we're told not to boast don't be haughty. Well next, our due he tells us to fear. look back at our focal verse romans eleven nineteen. You will say then that branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. But fear, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Let me make a brief comment on this before I get to another verse. This does not mean that you will lose your salvation. This does not mean that you'll lose your salvation. We do believe in once saved, always saved. But let me remind you that there's plenty of scriptural reference to people that have claimed salvation and weren't really saved. Parable of the seed and the sower, right? That shows that some people didn't have a saving faith. Jesus saying, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord. In other words, they knew about God, but they didn't know God. You can look at the example of the apostate church in Revelation, thinking that they knew God. And so as he's writing this, he's telling the church in general in Rome to fear Growing up, I was taught that, oh, you should never doubt. You should never doubt. Don't doubt. Don't doubt. That's really not scriptural. Because we should examine ourselves. And in fact, if you look at Philippians 2, verse 12, Paul wrote the church in Philippi and said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with Fear in trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and do for his good pleasure. There we're told to fear. Now, let's think about that. If I'm going to fear, it means there's a standard, right? I have to have something to be afraid of. I have to have something to evaluate myself. My mom was a little bitty short woman. And my brother and I, starting in junior high, were a lot bigger than my mom. And it got to where mom would start spanking us and we'd just turn around and laugh then mom would say these words, just wait till your dad gets home. Which struck fear (laughs) in me and my brother's life. Why was that? There's a standard. There's a standard. And for us to fear, for us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it means that there has to be a standard in which I look introspectively in my life and say, how is my life compared to the holy standard? And it's the difference between looking at your salvation as a static event or a lifelong calling. If I look at it as static, and I've used this example many a time, I've got this ticket in my pocket. It's gonna get me to heaven. And I there and say, okay, back to my own personal testimony example, I can go back to 1976 and I went down front and in going down front and professing a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I get my ticket. And so I put my ticket in my pocket and it sits in my pocket until God calls me home. And then I exercise the ticket. It was static. It was 1976, nothing's happened since then. It's just this static, Ticket that I've got, and unfortunately, because of cheap grace in the modern church, we've got a lot of people that's how they view their salvation. I went down and I did this, and it's static, and I'll exercise that ticket. That's not salvation. In fact, Paul tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it's not static, it's fluid, there's progression. That's the doctrine of sanctification. That God moves us. He changes us. We become holy because of the power of God. And we are looking at our life against a holy standard. And it should bring about a reverence and a fear because I'll never get there. It's only through Christ. I'll always fall short. You'll always fall short but we're progressing, aren't we? Through the power of God. So if you think about no boasting, we could bring this into the solas of the Reformation. Christ alone. It's only Christ. As we look at fearing the Lord, we're looking introspectively, aren't we? Against the holy standard. So what Paul is writing the Gentiles and saying, don't boast, you better be fearful. Don't have spiritual pride. Don't presume. Isn't it interesting? He's telling them not to presume. And that's what the Hebrews ended up being is a presumptive people. Just as they looked at Christ and said, I'm of Abraham. That's presumption, isn't it? And unfortunately, in a cheap grace church across America, we've got people going, I'm okay. I'm okay. As they equate being an American almost with being a Christian, I'm okay. Grandma and grandpa were Christian. I'm all right. But if you don't have boasting and you're looking at Christ and you have a fear, what is that? That's an environment of grace, isn't it? That's an environment of grace. As we come together and as we worship together on a Sunday, we come as sinners saved by grace. That's only saved by the blood of Christ. And instead of looking out on society and going, hey, I made the right decision and you folks, you just, you haven't clued in. And we have that spiritual Pride. Instead, if we have an environment of grace, what happens? Instead of looking at society and going, sorry, y'all are just all wrong. Just as Paul says, he's the chief among sinners. As we look out at our society, we recognize that they desperately need the Lord Jesus Christ. They desperately need Jesus Christ. Why? Because we desperately needed Jesus Christ and only by his grace do we find salvation. And because we should remind ourselves of that every single day that we are sinners saved by grace and that we're operating in an environment of grace. And in fact, at this very moment, at this very moment, Jesus Christ is on his throne. And what's he doing? He's interceding for you and me. We need interceding, don't we? We need it. We can't live without it. Christ is constantly interceding for us on our behalf. We need Jesus Christ. I needed Him in 1976. I need Him right now. I'm going to need Him tomorrow. I'm going to need Him for eternity. He is my Lord and Savior. You're going to need him and the rest of the world needs him. And it should be the mission of this church not to look inwardly and say, well, gee, we've got it and nobody else does. We should be looking at a lost world and saying, what can we do to effectively share the gospel of Jesus Christ? We don't need to be prideful. We need to be graceful and recognize what God has done for us. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for your grace. And we recognize that there is not one thing that we've done that deserves merit or favor, that we stand helpless without you. And through the gift of your son, we've been bathed in the blood of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that every day that we might have the joy of our salvation, every day we might Understand that it's only because of the grace that we've received from you that we're able to stand in your presence. We're able to understand your word. And I pray that we might look outward on a society that is rapidly moving away from you. And we might be a people of grace, that we might fulfill our great commission and be a witness to a lost and dying world. I pray, Lord, that if there's somebody listening, that if they have not accepted this free offer of salvation, that they might accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org